So if you guys want to go ahead and if you didn't have your uh, Bibles, why don't you, if you still needed one, you can lift your hand up. Dan and Easy are going to be uh, handing that out. And if you've got one on your phone, you can flip to Exodus 35 and then put your finger in 1 Kings chapter 8. Those will be kind of our two big texts this morning. Pretty interesting that uh, one year ago, next week, we shared with the church body uh, where we were at with our building needs and this potential building and what would need to happen. We went through Exodus 35 and just shared a biblical model on, you know, provisions for places of worship. And, uh, and so it was a year ago that we were in this text, a year ago next week. And so how interesting. It seemed like it took forever, you know, and at the same time now looking back, it's like, man, that was fast. How did this all happen, you know? And, uh, and I guess that's just the grace of the Lord that it did go by so fast. But just a few stages of this. So that year ago, we just began just a prayerful trying to be as biblical as we can process of raising funds to purchase this church building. And uh, in that process, you know, we were trying to raise about a $52,000 down payment, you know, and then another 50 or more for renovation costs. Seemed like a giant Mount Everest that we were trying to climb. And we just presented it to the body, the need And it's incredible to see what the Lord did in provision. And and there in Exodus chapter 35, it's where Moses begins to share with the people, you know, the need for the tabernacle, uh, that place of worship, that place of the dwelling place of the glory of God and where the sacrifices would take place. And he says there in Exodus 35, verse five through nine, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. And so essentially what we did over that last year, course of a year, was just say, hey, here's the need. And we just want you to go prayerfully and with fasting, just determine what the Lord is putting on your heart to give. Whatever is an offering, an act of worship to the Lord. And the text goes on to say, gold and silver and bronze and of course in our case that you know people were giving various you know forms of currency blue purple and scarlet thread and linen and goat's hair and man you got all kinds of things you got badger skins you know and uh, it wasn't until the baxters joined the church that you know all of a sudden we're getting trapping you know i'm just kidding because they're trappers you know cougar pelts at the front door like put that over here in the fireside you know i'm kidding but um we're, we're now really close friends after working so much together i can say that uh so you know we got all these incense and oils and all kinds of uh things to place inside the tabernacle in exodus chapter 35 uh verses 10 through 19 it said all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the lord has commanded the tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and with the veil of the covering. And so I have that underlined in my text here because 
It was so incredible to watch this come true in our church. I mean, look around. Uh, We don't quite have the projection. We'll have it next week to kind of show what this was before. And it was wonderful in its day. It just needed a little TLC, you know, a little facelift, a little lipstick, a little blush, you know, and, uh, you know, a little vacuuming, you know, and we kind of brought it uh, into, uh, uh, you know, second life and resurrection in a sense. But how beautiful to have seen, even in the last month, the gifted artisans come. And so it wasn't just with finances that people contributed. It was with artistic abilities. And so I just want to, you know, develop a culture of appreciation in our body. And uh, I just want to, first of all, thank uh, Perry. Perry, can you just lift your hand up? We just want to thank Perry and Kim Cross. And Clay and Aaron McCarty. Can you guys raise your hands up? Be shy. And Adam, our deacon, just helping this. And, you know, gosh, we can't go through everything. And we're going to just, we are going to reflect on every little thing, though, that, that took place here. But Pat, man, you were a gift from the Lord. Pat and Daphne, you know, they started coming about a month before the move. And in almost every way, he was able to be here and help with HVAC things. And he helped remodel a church before. And just praise the Lord. We just have declared the glory of God that he's brought you in this season. So thank you, Pat and Daphne. You know, so crazy to have a snow this last week that shuts the whole West Coast down. But I told, uh, who was it? I told our sound technician, everyone should thank God for these school days that they've had off because he did it for us. You know, he did it for us. We had to do a little extra plowing, but it got men down here and women down here that would normally have to work. And they labored and it just worked out like to the hour to be in here the way we are right now. It is just the Lord and it is just incredible. The Lord brought Tyler here and Elizabeth and I just want to thank you and appreciate you. You know, you've heard us talk about the elevator repairman and he's not an elevator repairman. He's an industrial lift technician. Or something. I don't know, you know. Um, he's like, everyone thinks of me as the elevator repairman. But, but he repaired our elevator. That's all I got to say about that. But, you know, for such a time as this, we just talk about the gifted artisans. Will you guys look at the doors in the back? Look at the barnwood slider doors. Dustin Cloud, a gifted artisan. Fred with the welding on that. And just thank you, guys. Let's give this glory to God for that. And, you know, of course, you just get yourself in a dangerous place. Like, well, he thinks so and so. And he didn't think. You know, this is just an example, I think, that's a reflection of everything. That in this time, just the Lord was in it. And he just brought the people with those special skills. And it, it goes all the way down to the vacuumers. I mean, it just, it trickles down to this person is an animal on the vacuum. This person is a painting genius, you know. And so it's incredible to see what we see here is gifted artisans among you. And so it just goes on to talk about in Exodus 35, all who are willing and with a willing heart. Moses ended up sending people away and say, you go pray about it before the Lord. See what the Lord would have you give. And they came back and they ended up having to stop them from giving stuff to the building of the tabernacle. We're not there yet, you know, quite there, you know. Maybe a little less furniture, you know, or something or, uh, you know, but we're, we're almost there. 
All right. But uh, man, the work of the Lord in the hearts of people, giving them willing hearts to give to where our budget for this phase one project was met like above and beyond what we needed. We were thrilled to be able to get the things done that needed to get done and to have rest in that. And so then I'd like to take us kind of into the next phase, which was this work. It was this work of renovation. And so, you know, I mentioned Perry and Kim Cross and Clay and Aaron McCarty and Adam. That was kind of our, we called it like the building crew and the gals were just this decorator mind. The guys were the construction things. It was such a beautiful thing to just trust the Lord's work in those guys and the advice that they'd give and just defer to their you know, just like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, or, hey, I got this idea. Tell me if it's stupid. And okay, it's stupid. Okay, sorry, my bad. You know, but just to be able to just defer uh, to that. And uh, how neat that the week after we purchased the building, we, we were at a men's muster. I mean, if there was any time that the men shouldn't get away, it's when you just buy a building and you've got, you know, three weeks to get into it. And we just said, no, we need to go and we need to get with the Lord and get strength and power from him. It was at the, it was at the muster that the Lord just fueled us for this task. There was so much joy and camaraderie that the Lord built in us at the muster. And Luke Frechette taught through the book of Nehemiah. And as we went through the book of Nehemiah, we just knew that these were little words for us through the building project. And there were things like in Nehemiah, if you want to flip there, you can, Nehemiah chapter 2. As Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, He surveyed the wall, he surveyed Jerusalem, and then he gathered the people together to tell them the plan to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that the Babylonians had destroyed. And he told all the people of Jerusalem of the hand, this is Nehemiah 2.18, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to the good work. That's just exactly what happened. The Lord just had this placed in front of us. Here's the work that God has given us. And and you guys had that Nehemiah type heart of saying, let us rise up and build. And I just love that phrase. So they set their hand to the good work. How incredible to set our hands this last month, especially to this good work. And then in Nehemiah 4 verse 6. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. And anyone who is here in this last month would just be able to declare. Our people have had a mind to work. Praise the Lord. I was told of another modeling project for a church where none of the congregation came together to help. A couple old folks came for a little bit of a time. A couple people said, please don't ask me to help. I just don't want to help. And just the astounded heart that our whole body came together and rallied to help in this project. The people had a mind to work. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 17, it said that those who built on the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction. And you'll remember they were under siege by Sanballat at the time. And with the other hand, they held a weapon. You know, Charles Spurgeon had a newsletter where it was called the sword and the trowel. 
And with one hand we work and one hand we do spiritual warfare, you know, and we would just be able to tell, man, we just need to pray. We need to gather people. We need to pray and be, work in the spirit. So with one hand, they held a weapon and you think your job's hard. Like, you know, it's like army engineering, you know, every one of the builders had his sword gathered at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. As you go on down and you see that they labored in the work, they labored night, they guarded at night, they worked by day. And then look down at verse 23 of Nehemiah 4. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except them. everyone took them off for washing, you know. And that was essentially what the week in the month felt like, wasn't it? Laboring, laboring, late nights, 11 o'clock at night, some of us 3 o'clock in the morning, laboring. If you saw Johnny Olkers, that guy barely took a shower. He had drywall mud all over his clothes like the whole time. He was a biblical Nehemiah guy, right? Um, oh, no, except that everyone took them off for washing. You know, we're not animals, right? Remember what Luke said? Uh, but that, that labor, that work that happened, Luke Frechette's been following us on Facebook. He says, it's just like Nehemiah. You guys are just getting to the work to get it done for the glory of God. And so look at Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And I just think that that is a testimony of this project. It was just a work of the Lord. No one can take credit for it. It was a work of the Spirit upon the hearts of men in response to what he's done for us. Understanding a New Testament biblical church follows the principles of our mission statement where we regularly gather, we get in the word, we get in prayer, we encourage and admonish one another, and we get out to evangelize the world. And I think that in all of this, the Holy Spirit gave us the heart to give of the resources, whether it was money or whether it was of material or whether it was with gifted artisanship. The Lord gave us the strength to be down here to where I was telling Lindsay this morning, it almost seems like, there were no nights and no sleeping. It was just solid days that never ended. And just like all of a sudden here we are like, like you blink and just that the Lord did that. And I just want to thank you guys that it was the Lord who moved in your hearts uh, to be down here, to be vacuuming, to be chiseling, to be shaving, to be um, scraping, to be staining, to be hanging, to be dusting, to be putting in light bulbs. And the list just goes on and on and on. Guys were hitting their ham, you know, fingers with framing hammers, you know, and their hands were rubbed raw and they ripped their shirts and all kinds of, you know, it's just sometimes they got a little miserable, but there was joy in it because just like in Nehemiah, it was the work of the Lord. And so that means brings me to uh, just our first service here today. And I just always felt like, you know, whenever we ever, I mean, this is before even any buildings, but if there's ever any sort of building thing going on, I just love the dedication of the temple. I love the story of the dedication of the temple. And if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. It's interesting. Uh, it was probably 2000. Eight, 
when uh, Calvary Chapel Corvallis had uh, finished their building project, which I got to be a part of. And uh, there was a, a, a big building dedication night and Chuck Smith came up for it. And it was the only time I met Chuck Smith. And Rob introduced me to Chuck and, and said, uh, hey, you know, this is Rory. He's my high school pastor. And Chuck goes, you know, maybe one day I'll be at your building dedication, you know. And um, he passed away a few years ago. He's not at our building dedication. But, um, but here we are. And 1 Kings chapter 8. The passage in Exodus that we read was for the donations of the tabernacle. Uh, which was more of the mobile RV style of the temple, okay? Um, and so, but what we're reading of now is about the temple. It's the, the stone and the um, artifacts or the uh, articles of the temple. It was built into Mount Moriah. It was built into the Temple Mount. Uh, the project begun by David, stopped by the Lord because David had blood on his hands. The, the Lord didn't desire David to build it, but said, but your son Solomon will build the temple. So David gave of his resources and of his gold and his silver, his materials, so that that uh, work could be accomplished through his son uh, Solomon. And if you read the passages before in First Kings, there's almost a similar giving and craftsmanship and just the labors and the artesian is artesian. That's like a well. Artisans, thank you. Um, I like artisans. I think we're starting something today. <clears throat> um, that all happened as well. And so here's the day. It's a special day. And I believe that the Lord wants to reflect that day here in us as we read 1 Kings chapter 1. It says, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all of the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is in the seventh month. So all of the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark and they brought up the Ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle the priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him. They were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of... Uh, sorry. I'm a little bit... I need, let me zoom in on my iPad here. Okay, sweet. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. 
For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. We're going to read about that uh, Chronicles version of that account there. The glory of the Lord coming like a cloud into that temple, into that tabernacle. In Exodus 40, you read of the similar thing where the priests had to stop ministering because just it was too much. God's presence was just so strong and all they could do was just worship and sing out to the Lord. Verse 12, then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand he's fulfilled it saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I've chosen no city from any tribe of Israel of which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple. But your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke and has filled the position of my father's David. I have filled it and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I've made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all of their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant, David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you've walked before me. And so just this beautiful picture of King Solomon, you know, all that's going on, there's sacrifices and offerings, hundreds of thousands of animals are going to be sacrificed this day. I mean, this is just beyond comprehension for us. I mean, we get some elk around here and we get some deer around here, but man, those tags, there's few and far between, right? We are talking about hundreds of thousands of animals being sacrificed on one hilltop. Okay, smoke and aroma rising to the Lord. We're talking about the glory of God falling in the temple. We're talking about priests that can't even do this work anymore because there's so much of the glory of God. And in the midst of it all, Solomon stands up and he lifts up his hands and he just begins to bless the Lord. We're going to read another place. Solomon lifting up his hands. And what we're going to read from this point on in this chapter is the prayer of Solomon that I believe is applicable for us today. 
And I've always, since I was in about high school, I remember reading this passage and I just picture Solomon on a platform worshiping the Lord. And you know, for some of us, we just, we get a little weirded out with the lifting of the hands. And I understand that, you know, there's just different cultures and different styles of worship. And, but you know, I think the lifting of hands is a biblical thing. I know that I've been called the dancing pastor sometimes. And I'm like, Hey, if you want to see me get down. I can get down, right? But I'm just, I'm just, I just want to be biblical in my worship, you know? I want to be charismatic, which means be full of the Spirit, but I want to be it tethered to the seatbelt of the Word of God. I don't want, you know, dis- I don't want to be the guy everyone's looking at. I can't worship because Rory's just like, you know, like I want it to be about Jesus, but I want it biblical, so it's about Jesus. And I even think that today as we're going to move towards worship, this might be even the first day for you that you just, let's just, don't we all want to, I love Kevin Vaughn said it to me once. Hey man, I just want to learn and unlearn. You know, if there's just anything that the Lord says, you know what, that's you, get rid of it. But this is me, hear it. And just that we would grow in that as a church. Lord, if you want me, if if it would bless you that the posture of my body would reflect the position of my heart, then Lord, these hands are up, extolling greatness to you. Or as the Jews would pray, they would pray if they're giving glory to God, or if they're receiving blessing from God. Man, Lord, these hands, as, as we studied recently in the pastoral epistles, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands to the Lord, without wrath, without doubting. I wonder who's looking at me, I wonder if... You know, or I wonder if this, you know, is this, you know, just, Lord, just, it's about you. I'm just ascribing greatness to you. We're going to see in a little bit. Are you ready for it in a little bit? Solomon's going to kneel. What is this? You know, well, it's something that's not of the world. So it's probably going to be different, but it's worship. It's getting down on your knees and on your face and just bowing down and humbling yourself We're going to have a place for that today as we worship. And as Solomon lifts up his hands and worships, what does he do? He gives greatness to the Lord. I've heard someone say, that's like making water more wet. You know, he's already great, but we're just recognizing it. We're ascribing greatness to God through song, through poetry, through, you know, whatever. We want to give greatness uh, to the Lord. And then, of course, Solomon told the story about, um, about his father and about God's faithfulness to the promise. And I just want to say quickly, God has been faithful to his promise here. You know, we don't have that same promise. Well, the, the Lord said a year ago, you're going to move into the Episcopal building. But what the Lord did say was just keep taking the little open doors as they come. Just keep taking. OK, it's just an open door and we don't want to force it. Next thing we know, we're just one step down. We're one step over. We're one step over. Let's keep reading, shall we? Look in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. He realizes, what is this? This is like some place of heaven touching earth, but this isn't even big enough for you, Lord. A billion, gazillion, quadrillion dollars couldn't build a big enough of a place of worship for you. But God in his grace says, you know what? I'm going to 
put myself in Jerusalem. I'm going to give myself a place where you can come and you can meet with me and worship me. Verse 28, even though this isn't even big enough for you, Lord, yet regard the prayer of your servants and his supplication. O Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. Now, the difference between being a New Testament Christian and an Old Testament believer is that now there's not a place in Jerusalem where the glory of the Lord dwells. It's not the temple, but it's the temple of our hearts as Christians. And as we're here today on this building dedication, we're not even like, it's not even about the building. It's about these temples, you know, a hundred temples in this place where the Holy Spirit dwells as we're born again. That wherever we're at now, Jesus says, we can worship him in spirit and in truth. And then we can gather together and assemble ourselves together to make a body or to make a flock or to make a building, different illustrations that can be useful for the Lord's work. And so wherever we at now, we, we don't have to face Jerusalem. We don't have to face the corner of First and Holly. Wherever we at, we can, we at, we can cry out to the Lord. By the way, guys, it's family service. Don't worry about your babies, okay? Just chill. Okay, it's cool. Okay, we're in a living room right now, all right? Okay. Except for you, control these things. Okay. <laughs> Verse 31, Solomon is going to go into all kinds of examples of life situations where we might need to cry out to God. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So first of all, if we were to sin against our neighbor, this is a place that we can come and find reconciliation. We can come and walk through the process in the word and be reconciled to one another. And we can come to the Lord. And there's going to be some repeated words here. I'm not going to say peas anymore. Apparently that ticks the microphone off. But you'll notice some of these repeated words. When we come to the Lord, he will hear in heaven. He will act. He will judge. So something that we believe that the Lord will do in this place over the decades, whatever, centuries. We might need to do a little foundation work, Matt. We got to finish that up if we're going the centuries route, right, Matt? Okay. Um, but, man, we want the Lord to reconcile us if we've sinned against our neighbor or against the Lord in sinning with our neighbor. Then it goes on to this defeat that happens because of sin. Look at verse 33. When your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then here we have it again. Here in heaven, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. 
And so again, there's, there's sin that might happen in the nation, and it does, if you know the story. But when the Lord gets a hold of us and brings us to repentance and we cry out to the Lord, he's going to hear. He's going to forgive sin. And I don't want to get too far into this without noting the reason the forgiveness of sin could happen was because of all the sacrificing that was happening out at the altar. It was because of the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats that that sin could be covered. But if you know anything about studying the Bible, all of the bulls and goats and the priests and the garments and the tabernacle and the temple stuff, it all pointed to Jesus. How he would be the true and better lamb that would be slain for the sins of the world. How his blood wouldn't just cover over sin, but would completely wipe it away. How he would actually be the high priest that didn't just offer an offering, but offered himself up as an offering. And because he rose from the dead, he only had to offer himself once for all. The old school, Old Testament thing was thousands and thousands and millions of bulls, goats, turtle doves, pigeons, all that kind of stuff. Again and again and again and again. And the priest would sin, so he'd have to offer up it for himself. Not with Jesus. It was his own blood. It was one time at the cross at Calvary. It was sufficient to cleanse the sins of the entire world. And it only had to be shed one time. So the reason that the Lord can forgive sin and hear us is because of the blood that was shed on the same temple mount at the Mount Calvary. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Then, what if there's drought that comes from sin? Let's keep reading. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against you. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them. Then hear in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, the people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. And send rain on your land which you've given to your people as an inheritance. So more sin that the Lord would bring correction and bring us to repentance because he's a good father. Then we repent and he forgives and he acts and he gives. But then it goes on to say in verse 40, and we're going to see a little bit of the missionary heart of God here. All of this forgiving and hearing. It's so that people would fear God all their days. And live in the land which you gave our fathers. This missionary heart of God continues in verse 41 through 43. Moreover, concerning a foreigner. Do you guys know that God has a heart for the foreigner? It's important to remember in this day and age. What about the foreigner who's not of the people Israel or the United States? What if they've come from a far country for his name's sake? For they will hear of your great name. And your strong hand and your outstretched arm. What about when he comes and prays to the temple? Here in heaven, your dwelling place. And do according for all that the foreigner calls to you. Listen to this. The missionary heart of God at a temple dedication. That all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. As do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. And that's our heart for this building. That the nations would come to know Jesus through the acts of worship and discipleship that happen in this place. Verse 44, when your people go out to battle against their enemy. And this is an interesting thing. 
We've, we've lived in a somewhat peaceful time. I mean, not many of us have seen combat like the generations before us. But guys, I mean, things point to, you think of the, this church was built in 1946, the chapel, 1950 and 1957. And think of the Vietnam conflict. Think of the people who've come in through here, who fought for our country over the last decades, and who will. Think of our children raised up, what the conflicts might come. But that their growth and discipleship here would be something that would prepare them for the day of battle even. Even days of battle that would come through the sin of our nation as correction against our country. What about when our people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city that you've chosen and the temple which I built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication. And listen to this. Maintain their cause. Verse 46, when they're in captivity. We're wrapping up, guys. We're just just reading the next 40 verses. Okay. When they sin against you, For there's no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. And we know this is going to happen with the Assyrians and the Babylonians because of the idolatry of Israel and Judah. Yet, verse 47, when they come to themselves, as Daniel will come to himself. In the land where they were carried captive and they repent and they make supplication to you. In the land of those which you took them captive saying, we've sinned and done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward the land which you gave their fathers, the city which you've chosen and the temple which I built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication And maintain their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you all their transgressions, which they've transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive. We just see in Daniel and Nehemiah, the compassion of the pagan kings uh, in those times. Answer of Solomon's prayer. Verse 51, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. That your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call on you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses. When you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And this is where I want to partake in what Solomon has done as he moves on. His hands stretched up to the Lord. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. Saying, blessed be the Lord who's given rest to his people Israel according to all that he's promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised to his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us 
that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require. And that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes, And to keep his commandments as at this day. You know, there's two times in this section where it says that Solomon blessed the congregation. You guys, when you look at me, I just bless you. I just bless you. God bless you. God pour his spirit out on you and cause his face to shine on you. You guys, you are an incredible church. It is so fun to go to other conferences and speak to pastors and to speak to sound technicians and to get to just tell about what the grace of God has done in you. Praise God for what he has done through you. When we pray about the Lord maintaining our cause, it's three times prayed in this prayer. This isn't, Lord, just... You know, we got some pretty sweet agenda going on and just kind of follow, you know, get on the train or you're going to fall off, Lord, because we're going places. No, we are about the cause of the New Testament church full of the Holy Spirit saved by the blood of the Lamb. And what cause are we maintaining? Beautiful sign, culture of appreciation. Jenny McKinnon drew it out there on the wall. As you leave, you'll see it. Dustin Cossett building the frame for it. Just praise God. Appreciate you guys. But as you'll see it, you'll remember at the old building, we had it painted on the wall when you leave. It's on the inside of the wall as you come in. It's our purpose statement as a church. It's our vision statement. And you might even say today, it's our cause. It's our cause. You guys remember in Mel Gibson's The Patriot, when the American patriots were, they were losing to the British and one kid's like sewing a flag back together and his fingers are frostbitten and, and I think it was Heath Ledger that said, is there not a cause anymore? Oh, there's a cause. There's a purpose. This isn't for nothing. We exist, the flag says, framed in beautiful wood on the way out. We exist to make disciples, followers of Jesus in our city, Prineville, and of all nations, followers of Jesus that are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God. There's a cause And I bless you, Calvary Chapel, today. I bless you that the God of heaven would maintain our cause as a church. That he would maintain the New Testament cause of being a local church. Notice in verse 60, it says, so that. Why would God maintain our cause? Why would he be doing this? It's not for us. 
It's not for us. It's so that we can multiply, that men would be saved, that they would know reconciliation with their creator and that he would be given the glory that is due to his name as creator God and as savior of the universe who gave his life as a ransom for sin. Prineville doesn't know it. Prineville is deceived. It's here that it's needed. And the farthest parts of the world that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation would know that he is the God that when we totally blow it, like two days after this is given, we blow it. We can come to him and he will hear. He will hear. And I just felt that this was a text for us today that there are those you have, you, you're idiots. You're just so dumb. And I am too. It takes one to know one. Holy smokes. We need help. But the beauty of this chapter is that when we are so dumb, we move into idol worship. Israel is going to be sacrificing their babies in a brass bowl of fire. They're going to be erecting sexual symbols and playing the harlot literally. And God is so good that he corrects us. By full-blown warfare and tearing down our city so that we'll realize there is salvation and hope found in no one else. And he will hear us today. He will hear you. If you're a prodigal, if you've been running, what a beautiful day to come back. What a beautiful day. It's a fresh start for us as a church. God has given you forgiveness and he's hearing your cry today and he will act and he will do according to all his good pleasure in you. He will maintain your cause. But newsflash, that that cause isn't your greatest dream that you've had since you were in high school. Whatever it was that you just wanted to build your own kingdom. That cause is there. It's found. And I went clear to the bottom of my notes, but I practically got it memorized by now. Is it says so that all of these nations, all of the peoples of the earth, verse 43, actually it's down in verse uh, 60, that all of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. So the nations will know. And so my blessing to you, oh, it's so wonderful to tell the story of our church. You know, So wonderful to tell of this last year and that, you know, we were a church with finances that were just wow, and we may be that again sometime. But as we communicated with you guys, we just said, look, here's where we're at. If we're going to go into this building, we got to we got to maintain, you know, uh, you know, or if, if we come to you and we say, you know what, guys, there was a giant earthquake in Nepal this week. Our friends are over there. Mountain Child needs sufficient funds to get helicopters with rice up there. And one Sunday, $20,000 came in when you guys were told there was a need. I brag to people about you that when you know there's a need, we rally as a church. And we have rallied this year. I bless you for rally. I bless you for 70 to 100 people showing up at a time, tearing out pews or or removing pews and repurposing them in other places of worship, taking out old flooring, taking out carpet, hauling it, packing it, the loans of the equipment. I bless you. Thank you for your help. The late night hours. One of my favorite war movies talks about going to war in the Pacific. 
And there's this like colonel or something. He's a Marine. He says, guys, if we're going to beat the bad guys. It all rests on the shoulders of the NCOs of the United States Marine Corps. And I looked around one night, 11 o'clock at night, with men that had been working since before I even woke up that day. And they're on their knees installing flooring, stripping out old nasty bathroom tile. And I looked around and I said, guys, it's because of you, the late-nighters, that this is going to come together by Sunday. It's the NCOs of Calvary Chapel, you know, staying up late and working hard and pouring themselves out. I remember one lady, she said, I can't come. I, I don't have the body to be doing this kind of stuff, but I was getting prayer texts from her. Just, Michelle, that was you. Thank you for the prayer texts. There's so many people. I just can't, you got to understand. I can't thank everybody, but just you guys, you guys, bless you. Let him do the work in us now in this next season that all the nations may know that he's a God who hears, acts, forgives, does, maintains the cause. But there's a final little warning there. Verse 61, let your heart, therefore, be loyal. It's easy once now, hey, we're going to be able to take a rest. Let your heart be loyal. Stay true to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as it is this day. You think the enemy likes what's going on here? You think the enemy enjoys seeing the joy and the service and the friendships? He's going to come after us. Let your heart be loyal to the Lord. And as we have the worship team come up, that's you guys. Turn over to Second Chronicles, just a couple of verses, because it's, it's almost the same account. But it says in 640, Second Chronicles 640, Now, my God, I pray. Let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints, this is us, rejoice in goodness. Oh, Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. That's Jesus. Don't turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of David or the sure mercies of your servant, David. That's David messed up, but he would come and confess his sin and be forgiven. And then if you go just one chapter or more, three verses in 2 Chronicles 7. And when Solomon had finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord. 
saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever.